Hey there, everybody, and welcome to A Friend in Me, the podcast all about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. I am trying to find a new rhythm again as I enter the fall, and I hope you all are finding good rhythms as well. So here we have it, another episode, this one on the Pixar classic WALL-E. Now, I had an interesting relationship with WALL-E that I'll touch on in the podcast, as I used to rank it pretty middling. I found it a little too slow for my liking, but after this viewing, I was really blown away, and you'll see that it went up in my rankings for sure. Now, my guest this time is actually someone who reached out to me, who I hadn't talked to in years, but he reached out to me on Facebook and expressed interest in being on the podcast. Josh Shepard is actually a friend of my parents, and he himself is a writer who engages with children's media. So he writes about Disney Plus and other children's shows that are available as a critic. So it was really cool to have him reach out and I'm hopeful that our conversation is a blessing to you guys. It was certainly a fun conversation for me to be a part of. Now, I know it I know sometimes I forget to do this, but I'm not going to forget this time. I am going to read you a summary of Wally before we start. But before I do that, a couple things on the horizon. I am planning to record a bonus episode on cars on the road for my patreon subscribers and coming up soon i'm going to do an episode where i and a couple of friends rank the first 10 pixar movies in order saying where we think they belong in relation to each other so stay tuned for that but in terms of the normal episodes the next one that will be coming out is on the movie up which is of course a really powerful one, a tearjerker for sure. So you won't want to miss that. But that's in the future. Let's get to now. And I will read you a plot summary of the film Wally. Wally, short for Waste Allocation Load Lifter Earth Class, is the last robot left on Earth. He spends his days tidying up the planet, one piece of garbage at a time. But during 700 years, Wally has developed a personality, and he's more than a little lonely. Then he spots Eve, a sleek and shapely probe sent back to Earth on a scanning mission. Smitten, Wally embarks on his greatest adventure yet when he follows Eve across the galaxy. So there you have it. There's the plot summary of Wally. And now, I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Josh Shepard. Hi, and welcome to this episode of A Friend in Me. I'm excited to have my guest today. This is a little bit different because I haven't seen this guest in a long time since I was a kid, uh, but I'm excited to have Josh Shepard with us. So, Josh, if you could introduce yourself a little bit, and then we could talk about how we came to know each other. Totally. Porter, thrilled to be with you on uh, You've Got a Friend in Me, uh, a fellow Pixar fan. But yeah, I'm Josh Shepard. I am a freelance journalist. Uh, I do a lot of writing on family entertainment uh, for various websites, The Federalist, uh, Family Theater Productions, 
other. And I also write on religion for various websites. But um, yeah, I've listened to some of your episodes of the podcast, enjoyed it. I'm somebody who has a deep love of Pixar as well. I think as many millennials do. Um, yeah. And so I uh, just have enjoyed the journey of getting to know some of your friends and hear some of your stories. Appreciate the kind of philosophical, theological sort of depth that y'all have. I'm, I'm uh, you know, a little bit more of an entertainment journalist kind of coverage person, but I think the deeper themes are always important to point to. So uh, excited to jump in here to WALL-E, which I consider the the crown jewel of the Pixar canon. And to get to talk about it is is always a great pleasure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And it's it's funny because we'll get to this a little later, but my uh, perspective on WALL-E or my opinion on WALL-E skyrocketed after this viewing. As a kid, I don't think I appreciated it for what it was, but yeah, so I remember when I was probably 11 or 12, I remember being on a bus and meeting you. <laughs> and I think we played some sort of little board game. I don't know what game we played, but we played some board game together. But do you remember more about that interaction? Or I, I do. I, you can share a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I really know you through your parents, yeah. Peter and Kristen Sprigg, who they, uh, your dad, of course, worked for a prominent pro-family group in Washington, D.C. for many years and has a long, wonderful track record of kind of advocating for family policies. And so the work, the group I worked with at the time, Heritage Foundation, was on the, and that group basically did a bus tour together that was around the nation. I think there were 70 different stops that we did in maybe 22 different states or something. It was crazy. It was a big, big tour, 2012 election year. Uh, these were nonprofit groups, but still it was out there in churches. And so it was kind of an all hands on deck situation for, uh, you know, the the whole uh, team of both organizations. And so your dad was often out there speaking on policy. Yeah. So uh, that family members would be involved. I actually met my wife because he she worked with your dad at the same group. And we we met each other prior to that. But it was interesting how um, here this bus tour was happening. And we were almost kind of my wife and I sort of representing the the uh, the partnership of these groups in, in one sense. Um, oh, wow. But uh, so yeah, you so met kind of, on that bus tour. You I didn't know we, we met prior to that. We met Terry okay. and I met uh, at, uh, you know, a few months prior to that uh, at a prayer meeting in Washington, D.C. At, at what's called the Justice House of Prayer. But uh, yeah, we just happened to. You know, she didn't actually wasn't on the bus tour, but she was aware of it and and kind of had a support okay. role with it. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, then I've followed your creative endeavors. Of course, you've done a number of things I know in film and in writing and different things. And, uh, you know, just appreciated the different projects that have come along down the pike as as I've uh, seen you through your, your parents. And, uh, yeah, I think I, I've appreciated I think, you know, that was 10 years ago. I think in the last six or seven years, things have gotten a little more interesting in the world of kind of politics and Christian involvement in that space. You know, I think that sometimes uh, this idea of, you know, saving the world by, you know, we're, we're going to take the moral stand and align ourselves with one party. It can always lead to interesting places sometimes. And so I've appreciated, I think, the stand, I know particularly, I think your father has taken on some different things and, uh, you know, um, but that being what it yeah, is, yeah. I think politics is secondary. I don't want to get into that, but you know, yeah, I think yeah. we have a shared love, particularly of animation, you know, as a medium that's not just for kids. I think, uh, you know, there is, you even saw it at the Oscars, you know, this last spring where the animation category was like, well, my kids love animation. And that was the whole joke about it. And I'm, I have to watch Frozen 12 times. And it's not an appreciation of what this mm -hmm. brings to art. So there was a lot of pushback on that little speech that was and how it was framed uh you know the animation category 
at the Oscars. But at any rate, yeah. uh, you know, Wally certainly is one that is an exciting one to talk about because there's so much depth in it. For sure. Yeah, it's it was it's fun to see another person who posts a lot on Facebook about children's media and a Christian reflection on it, because I, I appreciate that a lot. And and yeah, I think it's really important for us to think, OK, what stories are being told to our kids? And obviously the stories that are being told to, to children are then shaping uh, the next generation. So these are the movies that came out when I was a kid and that shaped me in different ways. So it's a really a blessing to be able to talk about them in, uh, in this way. And yeah, thank you for coming on the show. It's funny you mentioned um, the all hands on deck with that bus tour. I, I know I was, I was one of those. <laughs> I don't even know what I did. Maybe I was just there to give moral support to my dad, but it was funny getting to meet you then and, and now being able to reconnect over a yeah shared love of good stories. But yeah, Absolutely. you reached out to me because you are a specifically a fan of Wally. This is one of this is your favorite Pixar movie, you said, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. And I, I do I have a love for all of them. I mean, I could easily, you know, go back and forth to, to Monsters Inc. I love comedy. I think that's a super fun film. Uh, you know, and I think the the, the films of Pete Doctor, uh, you know, so Inside Out as well is also right up there. But I yeah. think ultimately this one, as I've gotten to watch it more over the last, so my my story with it, there's a few different stories with it, but one is that even just over this last Christmas, my I was we were in Florida with my wife's family, and my son, you know, was having a long day, and he just he saw it on on the screen as a Disney Plus option. He was like, oh, robot, you know, and he's like, oh, sure. I'm like, let's watch Wally. I haven't probably seen that in a couple of years. And he was just mesmerized by it. I mean, he, you know, hmm. he was only like two uh, at the time. And so we've probably watched it at least once a week <laughs> since that point. He's wanted to put oh, it on. Wow. And so I've seen it now, you know, easily, you know, just in the background as I'm working and doing things. But it's been on like dozens of times. It's been something that he's just continually gone back to. And so uh, it is. I do have kind of uh, started to realize the depth of the, of the film to a, to a greater degree. But even yeah. back, I think when it came out, I guess it was 2008. Long before I married or met my wife, um, I was in Colorado Springs, was working for Focus on the Family at the time, and went out to see it with a group of friends, as I recall. And, you know, I think there was a lot in it that I connected with, even at that point. You know, it's just, it's such an interesting story, so little dialogue. You know, here you have yeah. this, you know, trash compactor robot from the year 2805, you know, 800 years into the future. He only speaks in beeps, you know, uh, and yet you're just yeah. drawn in by his curiosity you know, and, and the way he kind of approaches the world. And, I, you know, lots of love about the story. I think it is ultimately kind of a love story, really, between two robots, which is really interesting to think about, you know, and him and Eve, who are such different characters um, and such yeah. different designed, you know, they're, they're both, I think, on a mission. You could say that they're both kind of task-oriented in a sense, you know. I mean, he certainly is designed and engineered for one task, you know, to, to compact trash. Mm -hmm. And she, in a sense, is all is all about the directive, you know, as well, looking for that plan. Yeah. But I think as you think about it, um, he kind of has broken out of that over the course of centuries. You know, he's kind of really, yeah, you know, uh, something. And I don't really know what the spark is of that. You know, I, I don't know that the film really tells us, but it's clear that, like, the way he sort of lovingly collects these th these things and categorizes them, you know, he has this intense curiosity about things. And I think that's yeah. led him 
to then have like a an interest and a care, you know, for people and things beyond himself. And so the cockroach even is all, all he's got on earth with him is the cockroach initially. Obviously, he yeah. has a, a bond there. And then, you know, Eve comes on the scene and that's, you know, its own sort of, uh, you know, point of of curiosity for him. And then I think there is some spark and there is some some interest between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And one thing I noticed watching it, so I just watched it this morning uh, and I noticed that he kind of, yeah, he in a sense has transcended his programming and is lives for more than just compacting trash. He does his job faithfully, but he lives for more than that. But then as he encounters other robots throughout the movie, it's like he's consistently breaking them out of their programming as well. So with Eve, he helps her enjoy, yes, enjoy life more and start to think about more than just the plant. Uh, with the one robot who cleans Mo, the little guy who just cleans the the dirt, it's like interacting with Wally that first gets him off of his little set path that That's he right. is always following. And then throughout the movie, there's these different robots that end up kind of helping him in his quest, going above their programming, which is kind of a fun thing. But in a sense, he also does that to the humans on the ship where he jars them out of their kind of uh, lethargy and slave slavery to the screen he jars them out of that and they start to, you know, experience humanity again. So it's cool that he kind of serves as the force in the film that is jarring people out of this kind of rote programming. He really is. And he's, he's teaching others, I think, to be curious, you know, and it's by, I think it's his seeing of them and I think appreciation of them, you know, and what they could be, even maybe the possibilities of that, it, it, it somehow breaks down, sort of their routine and, and helps them understand and see the world differently, you know? So there's, I kind of see him as this, this like evangelist for empathy, you know? I mean, he mm. just, he's just, he, he is this caring and curious guy. I think it starts with curiosity for him. And then there's an aspect of care. And then, and actually then that care even transforms into, into really heroism because he, you know, on the case of Eve, he does several actions that are ultimately heroic and in defending of their relationship and defending of, of her, you know, uh, before the film yeah. is out. So I, I think that's yeah. interesting because the best, all the best science fiction, you know, you think about Star Trek and how they use data, you know, in various uh, ways and scenes, like he's an, he's this Android who has an outsider's eyes, but so much of the character is about commenting on and even celebrating what makes humanity unique, you know? And so yeah. there's, there's very much what you're seeing here is, uh, you know, him, I think uh, appreciating humanity, even though he's a robot, it's 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 an appreciation of the everyday and the moments and the connection uh, that really, you know, are are the building blocks of what we're what we're all about. Yeah, Pixar. They started their first short was this an- inanimate object, a lamp, and playing with the ball. And they've always kind of excelled at giving inanimate objects emotion. And I feel like Wally is the pinnacle of that in their in their arsenal it's it's just incredible how much emotion we see in wally and eve like you said just communicating in beeps but you feel like you know them so well because of how the animators depict their body movements and their interactions it's really incredible 
Yeah, I, I I would say this is this film is cinema in its purest form. I mean, it's all it's all showing. There's so little telling, you know, and so it is just it's just a perfect work of cinema. You might know that, you know, the Criterion Collection, uh, you know, which is sort of a collection of of DVD and Blu-rays, you know, that have been kind of restored to the highest degree possible. It was only announced uh, maybe two months ago or six weeks that Wall-E will be the first Disney Pixar film that's being added to that collection and has been fully restored. And Andrew Stanton is doing all these bonus features and helping people understand, you know, what's coming, uh, you know, what, how the film was made and, and the depth of what went into it. Because I mean, this is a film that is a, a masterclass in, in character development, in, you know, how you can make, like you say, inanimate objects uh, come to life. And I have to point out, you know, legendary sound designer, Ben Burt is a real big part of this. I mean, he is, mm. You know, for for Star Wars, he was the one who created the voice of R2D2. You know, he created all the iconic sounds that we know: Darth Vader breathing, breathing, the the hum of the lightsaber, the sound of blaster guns. You know, this he's been in this space for a long time. There's a great story that Andrew Stanton shares about, um, you know, the making of the film and saying, well, you know, even just very very early conversations years prior to it actually coming to the screen. You know, saying, well, we have to really do something like Ben Burt. You know, he's the one we really need is, is you know, think about the depth. And, and his producer is like, well, why don't we just call Ben Burt and get him on board? You know, and, um, nice. and so he, he's a former Lucasfilm guy who had that contact. And, you know, um, I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's really uh, it's fascinating. I can just read from this a little bit. Um, so Ben says, you know, the fun of being a sound designer is always to create a world of sound. And if it's a science fiction movie, you get the challenge of really creating a whole world because most of the sounds you hear in the film, from the ambience to the motors of the robots, the characters themselves have to be created. You, you invent something that hasn't been heard before to some extent. Um, and so it's, there, you know, you can go on and on with what he put into this film, but he's obviously, he, the sounds that he created, which are from a lot of organic things that he recorded uh, out in the wild, or, you know, he says that the blaster sound of Eve is the sound of a slinky, different things like that That's that are cool. real creative. Yeah. He's, you know, um, he was definitely somebody who, who you know, is adding a lot to this, uh, this film mm. through the use of sound. So. Yeah. It's funny. Cause when I was younger, I thought, I think it was a little slow for me at the beginning, the first 30 minutes without the dialogue, but that's maybe because I didn't fully appreciate how much was being communicated with the sounds, with the visuals, with the, the small moments of Wally's interactions with the world. So yeah, I, I think heading into this viewing, I was thinking, oh, I remember thinking this is a little slow of a film, but then, I mean, obviously it is, it has slowness, but that's almost part of the point because he actually enjoys life um, to the fullest. Um, and yeah, this time around, maybe it was, maybe it was not getting a ton of sleep the night before, but I was crying multiple times throughout the movie. Like, wow, this is, this is beautiful. Uh, this is profound. Um, are you a crier? I am Bad a crier. Movies? Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely am. I cried, uh, you know, when, when Anakin lost his mom or, you know, <laughs> when, he left, when he left his mom in Phantom Menace, which that movie is not a particularly emotional movie, but, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no, I absolutely am. I, Toy Although Story, you see, you've seen Wally so many times with your son. So I'm assuming you don't cry every time. You're, yeah, no, you're... I will say though, a scene that can make me cry pretty much almost every time is, is, uh, is toy story three, the end of that, you know, that mm -hmm. scene with Andy is like, Oh, you know, and I saw it in the theater oh, and yeah. I, I probably, it was embarrassing, frankly, cause I was with some college friends out here in DC and I had just moved out here and, you know, kind of missing my family. 
but I probably sat in the theater and, you know, and I think I even left and was able to stop myself from crying, but I went back to my car and I probably cried for like, you know, five, 10 minutes, you know, Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it was just, well, it's just so, up. It, yeah, yeah, it encapsulates so much in that scene, but. I know. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And that movie came out when I was about to go off to college. I mean, anyone who's within that realm of like, you've either recently left or you've left and yeah, it's just such a powerful moment about moving on from childhood. Yeah. And then in Up, of course, that that montage, I can just hear the music and start mm. to cry. Like I don't yeah. even need the visuals anymore. The music itself will trigger yeah. uh, my crying. But yeah. that's a powerful film. No, there's there's music yeah. views like that. I'd have to think about what film it's all connected to. But yeah, absolutely. The same. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's healthy to be connected to your emotions. That's good. So what did you see as some of the cultural implications in this movie, or what? Uh, as, what could it be say to our culture today that maybe even beyond what it said to the culture in 2008? You know, we've 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 grown and there's different growing pains that are, are happening. And how, how does this movie kind of speak into our culture? I think this this movie was way ahead of its time in, in a lot of ways and anticipated the kind of isolation that we see in our culture, you know, and how, you know, devices and, um, you know, just commercialization in general have just, you know, really taken away some aspects of humanity. And, uh, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's pervasive, you know, we, we have to be aware of that, I think. And it's, it is interesting too, because, and, and there's certainly an environmentalist message here of, you know, the, the, the planet and, and wanting to preserve that, I think wanting to, uh, you know, understand it with conservation in a healthy way and how we, we have only one earth that God's given us and we need to, to protect it and not uh, use up all yeah. its resources. And then obviously in this film, you know, off on a cruise ship in a sense into space uh, where, you know, it, it's just, there's so much interesting kind of uh, unexpected ideas in this film. I feel like, you know, because yeah. I think you'd, you'd expect space travel to be kind of this like physically demanding endeavor. That's almost like a military training. You know, we think of that like right stuff, you know, where there's so much that goes into it. And in this film, it's like the last remnant of civilization is off on this cruise ship and they're so out of shape they can't even walk, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like it totally throws you for a loop because it's and it's I think it's totally plausible um, the kind of ways they do it. Although probably, um, you know, exactly what they're eating and, and what they've been eating for centuries. That's kind of a, you know, I mean, it's probably kind of a cannibalistic type idea there. Frankly, there's a there's a there's a great YouTube channel you might know called uh, Food Theory and Film Theory. Um, he's really great. I think I've heard of it. Yeah, I think yeah. I've heard of this specific theory. <laughs> yeah, and that's, yeah. And it, yeah, he basically says, you know, well, the only way that they're eating these this cup, you know, food every day is certainly that some portion of their population is being used for that. So that's it's pretty dark, but, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it is funny, though, because you hear even in the early parts of the film, there's little details that they always spread into this film. Like they had like, there was like a sushi bar and like, you know, hibachi going on, on, on board early on, apparently uh, as they left earth centuries ago, but now it's been reduced to just, you know, meals in a cup. So yeah. I think that's uh, it, it's interesting, almost reflection on the promise of these commercial enterprises and what they actually end up being and, and ultimately falling short of the promises they make so often. So, yeah. Well, and then you have the corporation that created the problem, created the waste on earth, but then they're the ones who are saying they're going to save earth. Like uh, BNL is kind of this like 
almost the they're the government and they're a corporation, but they're also running the world basically as as we see it. But yeah, it's just interesting that it's kind of turning to the corporation to help save us from the problems that the corporation uh, created. Um, yeah. No, yeah. there is some really interesting irony in the film because, of course, this is a film released by the Walt Disney Company, which is kind of the most notorious commercializer, you know, of art yeah. and story and history. And we love Disney. And I, you know, my my wife worked at Disney and and I have a long history with them. And I'll, I appreciate I have kind of a love for every little Disney decade that there has been. And here we are at the 100 year mark. I, I can definitely point to films in each of those that I decades that I like. But they're also responsible for the, you know, direct video sequels and, you know, various, a lot of Disney reboots on Disney Plus now are, are pretty bad, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So it's not living up to the quality they promised, but it's just so funny. I don't know if you actually stayed to the credits or through, through the credits on this film this time around, but at the end of the Disney Pixar logos, at the end of it, the by and large logo comes up. And it's, hmm. a, it's, a, it's just a funny little in-joke in a sense, I think, that the filmmakers did because it's like... <laughs> I mean, Disney is, and and don't forget, of course, the little line in the film, um, you know, where they're teaching little toddlers the, the ABCs, and it's like, uh, A is for Axiom, your home. B is for by and large, your very best friend. You know, yeah. and, and and that is the kind of relationship that Disney is trying to engender with people for sure. Is this, mm. you know, you're, you're you're we're a corporation, and yet we have this special relationship with you. I think, I mean, there is a lot of ways that a love of Disney has replaced religion for some people, you know, that the Disney magic is what they live for and going to the parks and, you know, being in this Disney community, that's their, that's their worship. It's really, it's really interesting. There is that level of community out there. And I, I, you know, um, we can appreciate, like I say, their stories and their films and what they do, but there, there definitely is a, is a crowd out there that has taken it to an extreme. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I just did, my Ratatouille episode. And I talked in that episode about how Brad Bird was poking at kind of the direct video sequels or the just with the frozen meals and how the chef wants to make the take Gusto's uh, famous recipes and just make them into frozen food. And it's mm-hmm. like taking Disney's creative genius and then just trying to like market it in this very accessible, but low quality level. Um, yeah. That's, that's interesting that, Pixar almost critiques Disney through some of their films, uh, even though obviously they're a part of it. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. But so are you thinking they intentionally put the BNL logo to say, we recognize that Disney is a BNL? Is that what you're thinking? Or I, th- I think that it, you know, it's just the, the in credit portion where it's branded like that, which is about, you know, our corporate identity and for them to put BNL as the last logo um, in it, it's just, it's, it's an, it's an irony. I think it's yeah. an intentional thing. I haven't seen like the audio commentary and why exactly that was the case that Stanton did that, but yeah. I think it's a pretty clear kind of, you know, pretty just uh, tongue in cheek kind of thing of like, Hey, we know this is the biggest entertainment enterprise in the world that's releasing this. And if any, corporation is going to be working with the government, you know, to do this. It's probably Disney, you know, there's probably like them and five yeah, other yeah. companies that could <laughs> probably actually do this in the future. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's That's just funny, a funny sort of a thing. Yeah. It's a, self, it's a self-aware kind of bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing you mentioned the kind of the, the dark theory about how they're getting their food, but it is interesting to me that 
in a sense, I feel like this is the most dystopian Pixar movie, but it also ends up being the most hopeful Pixar movie because of that. I think I really appreciated this viewing, seeing how stark and dark the reality that they were living in was, because then the hope that Wally and Eve and eventually the captain demonstrate seems again, it's just this hope against all odds. It seems like, well, yeah, Earth is destroyed. Humanity has lost any sense of agency and will. And so you think, oh, wow, this is depressing. And yet these main characters have this persistent hope and are, yeah, believe that life is worth fighting for, even in this dark dystopian reality. And so I think that was just really profound to me. And maybe that's why as a kid, I didn't appreciate it as much because I didn't realize how challenging the world and how dark the world can be. Uh, But now watching it as an adult, it's like, wow, it's, I really appreciate a movie that is willing to portray hope, but in contrast to like a pretty stark reality. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it's almost like a revelation type, all things new, you know, kind of theme to it, you know, where Mm -hmm. they're willing to really renew the earth and, and be agents of renewal by the end. And the whole sort of hand drawn credit sequence where you see them replanting the the seeds and, and rivers coming back and animals, you know, coming back, et cetera. I don't know how that happens really. So it's, it's a bit, uh, you know, idealistic perhaps of once you get to that dystopian place and how long that would take that process. But uh, it is, there is just this incredible sense of, of juxtaposition, you know, of that light and dark, the very difficult, you know, dystopian rotting world that they've created, you know, that's all, you know, this machinery that's run out, these empty stores that are, you know, decimated and, and rusty carts everywhere, you know, versus the endpoint of this renewed earth. Um, and so yeah. I do think there's, I think the, the layers of meaning within the film and, and sometimes the layers of irony are there because of that use of juxtaposition of two things that don't always make sense together or you wouldn't expect to see together. And I think one of the things that I love about the film, and I think it does point to, in a sense, you know, um, you know, marriage and relationships being a big part of that renewal process, you know? I mean, and that's a, yeah. that's a Christian idea that God created this idea of the family and of romance and of marriage. And that that's, it's so funny because it's in the, in the context of two robots, you know, so that's very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way the film starts, the way this film ends, you know, is with this really interesting uh, 1969 musical, Hello Dolly. You know, you're having these, these uh, you know, musical numbers from this film that ultimately is, is something that sparks his curiosity and understanding of what even is love and what is attraction and, you know, um, how do, how do people, you know, the whole idea of holding hands is kind of his, his metaphor, what he longs for in his, in his, you know, life now that he's passed just his trash compactor mode of programming. And so, yeah. And that's, that is a great double feature, by the way, if you've not seen Hello Dolly, which is also on Disney plus, 1969 musical film, you know, starring Barbara Streisand, really interesting. It's this, you know, you basically have these two young guys who are uh, in this, you know, uh, film up in, uh, rather in this little small town in in New York, uh, New York State, up to up upstate, and have never been to the big city of New York, and and so Barbara Streisand kind of uh, encourages them to go out and have a date hmm. and find a find a young woman to woo. And, uh, and so that's sort of the whole journey of the film. A lot of fun numbers in it. Uh, you know, put on your Sunday shoes. Obviously, you're hearing that throughout yeah. the, 
throughout the film and it's a really great number but it it is it is so strange like this early 1900s you know kind of setting of that film and that is plays such a big role in this futuristic dystopian sci-fi film so for Andrew Stanton to make that decision I think to have these songs play such a big role in this film you know it's just it's like that's that's a real spark of creativity and I think for them to, yeah. to make it all work and uh and make that kind of the framing device of the movie uh you know I, I think the best love stories of course are about going deeper of you know the personality and understanding the wholeness of a person and you're you're curious you know and that's that's yeah. the the heart of Wally is always a curiosity. That's kind of what it, what defines his character, and he wants to to know. I think what what makes Eve tick, you know what uh, what yeah. she's about. He's and he's you know he does have that longing to hold her hand, which is an interesting metaphor, you know, for for other things I'm sure. But uh, it is uh, you know there is an aspect of him just being interested in what drives her and this other person, this other being, and uh, and and ultimately kind of building a friendship with her. Yeah. Yeah. And what is really cool is that at the end of the film, so the beginning of the movie, Wally is willing to make all these sacrifices for Eve. And he, when she is kind of in her uh, like state where she is not aware because the plant is inside of her now and she's kind of, he is like holding the umbrella over her and he's still caring for her, even though she can't respond. But then throughout the movie, she is kind of, doesn't have time for him. She just cares about, completing her directive. So anytime he helps her complete the directive, she's happy. But anytime he gets in the way, she's just angry at him. But then towards the end of the movie, when he sacrifices himself and is being so caring to to help her achieve this goal, she then shifts from caring primarily about doing her job to caring primarily for him. So at one point, she, Wally is like dying basically. And he he goes and grabs the plant and says your directive and she takes the shoe and tosses it and says and takes his hand and says directive like you are my directive now and that was just that was one of the parts where i cried <laughs> um <laughs> where it's like wow like she has had this character growth where she actually this he was the hopeless romantic at the beginning and she seemed like she didn't have time for love but now she recognizes that this robot who loves her is worth sacrificing for it so then at the end of the movie her motivation to get back to earth isn't actually because of the plant it's because she wants to fix wally which is a really sweet twist yeah and it's cool how we have these two storylines going on uh, parallel to each other Yeah, yeah it's so true there's like a personal dimension and then there's this societal kind of bigger picture kind of story that's going on at the same time. And there is, there are aspects where they mirror each other, but yeah, it's, that is that moment, even where she sees the footage, you know, like there was like uh, security footage or whatever on her that captured him, him with the umbrella and him protecting yeah. her in the midst of her kind of state. It's, that was the, that was the light bulb moment for her of like, wow, he really does care for me. He's not just being selfish or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah I, I think it, there's that aspect of selflessness and sacrifice for the other, you know, I mean, that's the heart of, of marriage. It's, you know, in the heart of, I think relationships in the kingdom of God in general, that, you know, is you want to be, you, God calls us to, to sacrifice for another, you know, n- no greater love than this, than he would lay down his life for his friend, you know, um, yeah. certainly the case with, with Wally in this situation, but um, yeah, it, even as it comes to romantic kind of relationship and, and marriage, like, 
our culture today is very much about shopping around, about experimentation, about, you know, we'll do what feels right to you and try out a lot of things. And, you know, I, I feel like the biblical model is much more reflected here, which I, I appreciate where, you know, there's a relationship that's, that's built on interest and curiosity and friendship, you know, and uh, maybe he's probably the one giving a whole lot more in it initially. And it's not like, you know, uh, that he, but there is an aspect where it comes down to mutual kind of selflessness and sacrifice. And, and it's, yeah. you know, so it, I think he, he re represents and illustrates that first in a lot of the things he does. And then, um, you know, and then she does as well, like you say, at the end, in the whole third act, which is just uh, absolutely powerful. So um, yeah, it, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and obviously we've already started to uh, wade into the theological waters a little bit, but before we fully go to the kind of Christian response to the movie, uh, you mentioned the parallels that sometimes are there between the Wally and Eve story and then the humanity and the planet story. And one thing I'm thinking of is how, in a sense, it's a love story between humanity and earth as well. Like one of the main messages of the movie is do not, we should not take our planet for granted and I like that as an environmentalist film, it's not so focused on just kind of attacking the corporations, which obviously it does have a scathing critique of how we've treated our planet, but it's more focused on how, well, how can we return to a sense of care and love? And one of my favorite lines in the movie is when the captain is holding the boot and he waters the plant. He says, oh, little guy, like you came a long way for a drink of water. You just need someone to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And then he looks at the plant and he then stares at the globe, which is on his desk and goes, we need to go back. Like he, he has a sense of responsibility that's triggered in him of we actually need to care for this planet. And so there's this love that we're supposed to have for the planet that God gave us and that we've been planted in. And yet we can so often take it for granted. So what I appreciate in this movie that there's the scene where the captain is learning about Earth and he's transfixed by it. He's like, wow, this is amazing. And of course, we have Wally, like you said, having loving humanity and the quirks of the different items he's collecting. I think the movie reminds us to love the place that we've been put and to then therefore care for it and be willing to make sacrifices to care for that uh, as well as for those people that we love. So I, I think it's a good movie that is able to uh, give a hopeful environmentalist message of not giving up even in the face of climate change and not giving up in the face of different corporations that are hurting the planet. But it's also motivating that with a sense of compassion and care, not just a sort of anger at whoever the, the, those in power, you know? Yeah, no, that's really well said. I, I love that. I think that scene with the captain of him, what is earth? He's asking the computer and what is dancing, you know, and what is, you mm -hmm. know, uh, all these different aspects of both the physical world and aspects of humanity that he, that have been forgotten because they are just lounging in these, you know, uh, lazy boy chairs, you know, everywhere yeah. they go, they've forgotten how to swim. They've forgotten how to jog. They've forgotten, you know, all aspects of what, of, of physical work and activity and things beyond just, you know, uh, watching yeah. a screen and sipping stuff. And there's the line where he says, the autopilot says to him, on this ship, you will survive. And he says, I don't want to survive. I want to live. That's right. <laughs> um, That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it doesn't, kinda, doesn't come off as cliche. Like I think obviously you hear that in, in, in church environments or whatever, you know, yeah. and it, it is, a, it is a bit of a cliche. Maybe it even, you know, some, it, it's been repeated a lot more since this film, you know, cause it is, it's an iconic line, but there, there is a real um, understanding. I think that we can be more um, and that, yeah, like you say, our love, our stewardship of the planet and, you know, I think the idea of seeking the welfare of the city where you go, you know, the mm. whole Jeremiah passage, um, I think there there is some real interest in that. And it's not it's not a, a worship or an idolatry of the environment, um, but it is a real understanding, like you say, of responsibility and stewardship towards it, that we can't just let the urgency of the now, wanting to use up resources, wanting to make a, a quarterly profit or whatever, be the thing that drives us and ultimately depletes in these resources that that are so you know important to all of us so yeah and this is a sacrifice them going back there it's going to be a rude wake-up call for them having to use their muscles again having to mm. farm he's talking about farming like oh we get to farm but farming is hard work yeah so mm -hmm. the humans going back this is a self-sacrificial action obviously we believe it will benefit them in the long term because that's how we were designed to live. We weren't designed to just sit in a chair and eat food in a cup or whatever. But it's cool that the movie is depicting them going back to a difficult reality that's going to be less comfortable than the one they were just in. But they know it's necessary and they know it's valuable because of how Wally has kind of taught them. So, yeah, it, yeah. it's a, it's all a message, I think, against passivity, you know, and letting just life pass you by and, and letting it because. Ultimately, a relationship and, and marriage and romance doesn't happen as well without really being intentional and without an active pursuit, you know, on, and I think oftentimes on both people's part. But you I think as the man, you should be, you know, being the one to take the risk and, and ask for the date and, you know, et cetera, and start and initiate it. I think that they can easily live in this world of letting that autopilot dictate their destiny, you know, of having that kind of very, in a sense, comfortable in a sense, maybe some entertainment, you know, and some um, things to to interest them and at least at least uh, busy their time. But like you say, the the you know, the real fullness of the human experience and of work and of what you gain from that, um, you know, they're not getting in their current environment. And, you know, they don't even you know, they're not even walking on stairs. They've really, you know, just become bored, lazy, and very unfulfilled, I think, and ultimately in, yeah. in how they've gotten to where they are now. So it's going to take work yeah. to get beyond that. And uh, I do think it says something to our culture, our generation, and, you know, I mean, et cetera, in terms of not taking the risk. I think that millennials can easily, and, and even probably Gen Z to a degree, but millennials, I think particularly, um, can be sort of the most risk averse generation that they're, you know, maybe it's just because we have this idea of social image and maintaining an image on on social media and things like that. But yeah, a lot of times it's uh, going out and getting a date or, you know, uh, getting off the screen and uh, talking to your to your friend, etc. It's not always yeah. something that you're going to see happen. So yeah. Did my mom tell you to say that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> no uh, she uh, she'll be happy to hear you and, and encourage uh, the the millennial to to go out and find a date. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, as a single guy, maybe that's a lesson I can take from the movie too. <laughs> um, but, I I yeah. don't you know I'll be the first to say I had 
plenty of, you know, a few failed relationships along the way. And I think, you know, there's, we're all, all in process in those, those kind of yeah. things, but I think, yeah, yeah, I was fortunate to, to find a woman who we were interested in each other, had some things in common, but there was definitely a lot of, of mutual interest in getting to know each other better and building a friendship and, and that sort of thing. Um, when we both met, so, yeah, you know, and that's, uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're still learning that. I think that's the thing too is about marriage and relationship is you you have to continually in a sense date your wife. You you're you're wanting mm-hmm. to always not just get into a routine of you know okay well we just at it, we're just going down to watch something at you know eight o'clock and we're you know going better whatever you know you kind of have to like ask the deeper questions and get at some deeper yeah. things and um you know, uh, invest in your relationship together, uh, especially with kids right now. Like it's just easy not to have, uh, date nights and things like that, where it's just, they're toddlers, they're demanding and we're exhausted at the end of the day, a lot of times. Uh, and then you just go into them. autopilot. You just kind of yeah. cruise through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there are those conversations we need to have and, you know, that are necessary mm-hmm. to just, uh, knowing that we're on the same page and we're caring for each other and we're, talking through the various aspects of life and work and church and the different things we're involved in. So there's an aspect of you don't, you want to hear the person's stories again and have that curiosity about them and their past and their, uh, what they're interested in. So. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said, we've already kind of touched on this, but in terms of as Christians responding to this film, are there any ways that you see specific theological implications from the movie or maybe ways that we could, view this movie through the lens of the gospel one thing that we haven't touched on is this movie as a as an allegory for noah and the ark um Mm. you know there is an aspect of that where you know uh, eve is you could say that she's like in a sense the dove that went out at the ark and you know that the the olive branch she finds the plant and that you know that there's the axiom is they they bring it home at the end of it so you know i've i've actually used it Mm. to help my son understand noah and the ark a little bit some aspects of that where you know the whole earth is barren, et cetera. And it's all been covered. And, you know, you want to know that there's still life there after, after the flood. So I don't know where all that would take you theologically, but um, it, it's an interesting allegory, I think. And just one more way, I think you see that the filmmakers put uh, research and thought into it. I think, you know, there's just a lot of, of interesting sci-fi references and things that are in this. I, I think that, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about this idea of, you know, the, the biblical idea of love and marriage and, and how you see that, I think, played out here, even from a biblical viewpoint of, of where selflessness and and sacrifice and there's a, just a beautiful teamwork, I think, between the two of them of, uh, you know, of being on a higher mission together. And I think that higher mission of, you know, ultimately taking over from autopilot and getting this back to earth, even though there will be plenty of work to it that this, that it's, it's a, it's this idea of we're going to make all things new. We're going to be yeah. a part of this process and that working together in that um, is what brings them closer together and makes them, you know, kind of this, this great couple in a sense, this, you yeah. know, uh, people who are, who are feeding off of each other, they're sparking each other, you know, they're uh, they complement each other in their skills and talents and how they see the world. Yeah, there's there's some aspects of that. Uh, I don't know. What do you you must see some things you just got to see it this morning. Uh, what, what, are, what are some things on top of your mind? Well, it's interesting you go to the, the arc narrative, because in terms of Genesis, I was thinking Eve. We have this character who's like the 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 woman robot or uh, female coded robot um, who 
is kind of, yeah, bringer of new life or is starting something new. So I think those themes of new creation, restoration that you're mentioning are clearly there. And I think even just the image of that, that sprout that is coming out of the boot, this hope of new life uh, brings to mind, yeah, the idea of God making all things new, uh, bringing life from death. I also think that um, I think you kind of got into this too about them working together. What I, the verse that came to mind as I was reading this is do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. If you do not give up because Wally did not give up at compacting this trash. His job was to help clean the planet by just creating these little trash balls and every other robot we see who was in the same class as him has gone defunct. They're not doing their job anymore. He's the only one who is still faithfully doing this, even though it seems at the beginning, like he's pushing, he's Atlas pushing the rock up the hill. Like there's no point, but he continues to do good in the face of this seemingly insurmountable uh, decay. And then of course, as the movie progresses, we see that it was worth it. His And Eva is doing the same sort of thing here where she is persistent in no, like this plant, let's, let's deliver this plant to where it needs to be delivered. Let's like continue to push for this restoration to take place, even though it seems unlikely. And I think just Christians can be easily discouraged by all the darkness that's around us, whether it's, a cultural darkness, whether it's a just the impact of decay on our bodies or on our society. Obviously, the pandemic has brought us to different levels of hopelessness and despair and cynicism. But this movie can encourage us to keep persevering in doing good, to believe in the power of what well, and that's the cool thing is that as christians we actually it's not just oh maybe humanity can uh put on uh their pull themselves up by their bootstraps by and 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 restore things it's actually we have a god who has resurrection power who promises that new life will spring from what seems like a lifeless place so anyway i, I think there's a lot of hope to be found in the life of wally who is continuing to do his job, even though it seems like a hopeless task, you know? And as a, I'm a new RD, I'm a resident director at a, at a college and can be easy to see all the students who are struggling in my dorm with mental health struggles or with relationship problems. And just to throw my hands up and go, Oh, well, I can't really do like, what am I, what can I do to help 170 students? Like this is a lot, but I know that the Lord will work through me just showing up each day, being present in their lives, being an active listener and just persevering. Even though if I'm not seeing the change happening in their life, I know that showing up and doing that restorative work is worth doing. Yeah. And I think there's an aspect of, of, you know, Wally waking up other people to their, to, to who they really are, you know, of, and I love the aspect of kind of found family in this where, like you say, the other robots like Mo, like uh, the hairdresser robots, et cetera. He, he brings together these oddballs on the axiom 
that really play a really big part in actually changing the, the regime there and ultimately bringing us back to earth and, and making the possibility for all things to be new. And, uh, and, and I think it is that process of him kind of curiosity, caring about them, you know, seeing them in a new light. And, and I think he's, you know, there's an aspect of, I think of him, him speaking that forth sometimes, you know, of probably him, you know, seeing something in someone that they didn't see in themselves, you know? And I think there's an aspect of, of truth in that where, you know, you as a resident director, I'm sure you've had that opportunity to, to speak life into someone who maybe, you know, they don't see that goodness in themselves, don't see that, you know, mm -hmm. um, aspect of, of their past or how they're making a difference, but it's there, you know? And then, and there's a, you know, the, the power of, of empathy in that, uh, that process. I think, uh, you know, I, uh, one thing that is interesting is it comes to mind in terms of, a, I guess, a story or aspect of where I've tried to learn and tried to, to grow in this is, uh, is aspects of kind of racial history and racial unity and wanting to understand the depth of those, of those issues. Like, I guess it was in, you know, I want to say 2018, probably. There were, uh, you know, these various incidents that happened in July, around July 4th, you know, uh, a shooting that occurred in, in Louisiana, uh, unjust death of a black man, same in Minnesota, you know, this cafeteria worker, Alton Sterling, uh, killed at, in Minnesota, really just, you know, from a cop and an incident that happened in a, you know, uh, at, at, a, when he, at a traffic incident. And he, um, it was so interesting because July 4th weekend, I'm looking at the various evangelical ministries out there, looking at even, you know, various black evangelical leaders and saying, well, what are they saying? Who, who are some voices of life I can spread in this situation and try to put together the Lord, the kingdom kind of viewpoint of this and understand, you know, what's going on. And there was like nothing. Everyone was like flag waving and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just all kind of thankful for the moment they were in from a standpoint of Independence Day and finally found this minister in Missouri who was helpful. But what was interesting to me is that so these incidents happen. And then that happens on like a Tuesday, Wednesday, by Wednesday, Thursday, there's all these protests happening nationwide. And, uh, you know, including one in Dallas. And you see, you see an incident happen in Dallas where on Friday, you know, on a Thursday night during a protest, various officers are killed from a lone gunman who was not really part of the protest, but, um, you know, was nonetheless connected to it. And so it's interesting because then I saw my social feed on Friday morning of that week, and it's all sort of uh, blue lives matter is the only message that's coming forth. And everybody in our community is all saying, you know, look at the unjust death of these officers. And, and I'm like, yeah. what about the, the unjust death of those who sparked this protest in the first place? And we're seeing just a mm -hmm. little tiny picture of that. And so I just remember speaking out and saying something along the lines of, Hey, the, all the various, the, you know, the officers that died, that was a tragedy. The, you know, Alton Sterling that died, it was a tragedy. The Louisiana man that died, that was a tragedy. We can't just kind of see half the picture here. And, had a number of, uh, you know, friends of mine who are black of, of various minority ethnicity and saying, hey, you know, this that really was wonderful of you to say something, you know, that can really that's, you know, you saying that versus me saying that yeah. actually makes a bigger difference. And like and it wasn't just because I appreciated like the pat on the back or whatever, but I'm like, well, you're, you're right. Like we need to see this if we're going to be able to use our platforms for a way that's healthy and for an understanding of these issues in society and try to bring healing to to aspects of the church, especially where things have been incredibly divided, you know, we have to, to to get into some uncomfortable conversations, you know, I think about our complicity in these things and how we've not always understood holistically, you know, how we've benefited from the, the difficulties that others have faced, you know. And yeah. so 
And it's in, you know, I see that a little bit in Wally in the sense of he's curious, he cares, he has an empathy uh, for a situation. And it, you know, um, it, it actually, you know, for instance, the, uh, you know, the, the, the cockroach that he's so worried about getting, getting hurt, you know, uh, from the blast of, of Eve's spaceship, et cetera. You know, he, he just has this inherent care about him once he comes to know a being and their, uh, you know, fate and, and kind of their personality. So, um, you know, yeah. I, I think that hopefully we, those are things we can, we can learn from and take away, uh, from the film as, you know, uh, the, the power and the worth of, of, of uh, being empathetic and curious enough to, to realize maybe uh, how I see the world is, is only half the picture, you know? Yeah, that's good. And he helps create curious people. Another, he helps Eve become more curious. He helps the captain become more curious. So helping, yeah, I think speaking up in those situations, like you, you're sharing, Speaking up is one, it's a way of doing that good, persevering work of renewal. And it also hopefully will serve as a catalyst for others to see the world differently. So, yeah, that's a that's a cool connection. And yeah, Wally has skyrocketed in in my book, in my opinion of it, um, just very touching, profound and challenging yeah uh convicting as well if you if you let it be so yeah there's really layers in it you know i just i i definitely would say watch it again see you know with a friend you know because it's just the 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 stuff that's in it you know they they, pixar always put so much research into their films but it's like even though i only have kind of a sometimes a passing knowledge of some of the sci-fi greats that are out there like there's an author philip k dick you know, who wrote Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is his big work that, of course, is what uh, Blade Runner is based on. Yeah. And you can kind of see even in just the title there, there's some aspects of what Wally of, of you know, the dreams of a robot, you know, of what we get mm. in, the, in the center of this story. Um, mm-hmm. Isaac Asimov, The Three Laws of Robotics, you know, really interesting stuff that you see in iRobot and the morality of machines and bioethics and the, you know, the complexity of these things with technology. They're, they're real references to that stuff in WALL-E. So as usual, hmm. you know, Pixar's got a lot of, of stuff going on behind the scenes and, you know, in the midst yep. of, a, of a kid's movie in a sense. I mean, this is uh, probably their first one that isn't particularly a kid's movie, as you as you would point out in your, <laughs> you, know, um, uh, yeah. you know, observation there. We've My wife and I were big fans of Bluey uh, that our kids love. And there are certain episodes we're seeing in, in, the, in the current season of it where, it, the kids, it's, it's actually designed for adults. There's one about chess that is actually a, an episode for adults. And like the kids are kind of bored by it because they don't know the game of chess and don't understand what it's commenting on. And so it's interesting how uh, in kids entertainment, yeah. sometimes you, you get uh, a story like this that is so much deeper than just the surface yeah. level of, of what a kid might find in it. So another thing that it reminded me of in terms of other literature is Brave New World and how the dystopia is not one of uh, authoritarian control through demands and commands. It's authoritarian control through pleasure and just giving you exactly what you think you want so that you're numbed to reality. That's kind of the, the reality that they, that all these humans are just numb because of the pleasure that's been given to them. So yeah, it's an interesting connection I thought of as well. And I think in terms of, Pixar movies, the only one I think of that is 
maybe even more like this is only for adults would be soul. I feel mm -hmm. like that one is so, yeah. so philosophical that it's pretty hard to imagine like an eight year old understanding what that movie is trying to say. But yeah, um, I agree with I agree with you. I don't know that it's a, yeah. it's a film for kids. And I also gets into some of these issues of, of racial justice and uh, discrimination mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and the unique experiences of a, of a black man in New York City um, that, yeah, a child may not uh, necessarily be able to relate to. And yeah, that film has some unique issues with it, but I, I also really appreciate it and think there's a lot yeah. of really good stuff in it. So, yeah. Well, thanks so much, Josh. There's one last segment. And usually I do this with people who know me better and I know them better, but we're still going to do it and we're going to try. Okay. So I will share the character in the film that I think you represent or remind me of, and then you will share with me. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to cheat a little bit, um, but I think I know that you have been a, a vocal member of the pro-life movement. And I think this movie is very hopeful about the value of life and the life is worth living even in the face of dark uh, circumstances. So the there there's this is a minority but it's in academia there's this there's philosophical circles that would argue against birth they would say giving birth might be an unethical thing in a world that is this with all this suffering and and overpopulation and and all these things so they would argue that the ethical choice is to not have children but this movie kind of pushes for uh the value of living in in uh, a world that is involves a lot of suffering, right? So I am going to because I know that you are uh, a person who's who's pro life, who cares deeply about uh, the women and and mothers involved, who cares about the children involved. I'm going to say that you are the plant in the boot, <laughs> uh, which I know isn't even a character, but I was thinking Wally and Eve both have kind of a protective nurturing care for that plant so you could say either one of them but i think just that plant as a whole can be can represent the pro-life ethos of uh of uh life mattering uh in a deep sense and i think the movie although it's not specifically talking about that area of of life and it's not talking about birth uh necessarily i think it is a movie that presents life as beautiful, even in the midst of really hard circumstances. So you t uh, are that plant coming out of the boot. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate that. That's great. No, that's awesome. I, that's unexpected. So um, <laughs> because I would I would certainly say because you're, you're allow allowing us not to be repetitive, because I would I would say that you are. I think in what I hear of the podcast and what I know of what you're doing there as, as a leader of students and is you're, you're very much like Wally in being, I think, an evangelist for empathy, for caring, for a kind of mentality that ultimately is about kind of bringing people into an all things new perspective on life and not kind of living in for just the moment, not living, you know, just for some kind of, you know, temporal kind of college experience that's that obviously, you know, hey, we're we all turn 21 and 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 
have a drink and that's great. But, you know, life's a little more than that. You know, I don't know what the policy is there about drinking, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. at any rate, um, yeah, I, I think uh, you're you're very much that way. I, lo- I think you've got, uh, you know, I'm sure a ton of creative projects that are going to be happening in the future. But this is great to see you kind of launching out into this and, you know, the using Pixar, which is all about story. And I think you say like the value of life you know, the value of, I think, the human experience and celebrating that, you know, uh, especially, you know, much of their early work and and a pinnacle work like this one. Mm -hmm. I think when you think about Wally too, he obviously spent centuries doing that work of the trash compacting, you know, he was part of a system, but he was, he gradually was really more about the the curiosity and seeing a larger world and, and that, you know, the Hello Dolly songs, in a sense, opening him up to to love and to uh, a larger viewpoint on life. I think you're somebody who, you know, if you think about this idea of, of being part of a task and a movement, and he was just, you know, putting these towers of trash together, you know, there's, you might say the conservative movement has their own tasks and their own things they're about, the pro-life movement, and which is, a, you know, a really a wonderful and good good thing sometimes. But I think you're somebody who sees outside the the system and sees outside necessarily politics and that that's going to that you know that's not going to be what drives you you know i think that there are deeper and higher things that you're about and uh i uh commend that and uh and applaud that and think hey we we you know there are maybe aspects of us serving a system and you know being alongside people who have common cause but um Mm -hmm. you know when when push comes to shove it's not going to be just about being some part of some you know, uh, system that is building power, that there's a, there's a, there's an aspect of, of breaking out of that. Um, yeah. and, uh, and seeing, creating a different reality. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I, mm-hmm. I always describe myself as having more of a pastoral passion than a political passion. So I appreciate that was an insightful read into my heart, uh, even as someone who I haven't talked to you that much, but yeah, thanks for that. That, that means a lot. And um, my, I have a friend who, uh, I asked, or she watched Wally for the first time and she texted me and she said, Oh, I know who you are in Wally. And I said, who's that? And she said, you're Wally because you always, <laughs> I don't know if this will make the final cut. She said, you're Wally because you always fall for girls who are hopelessly out of your league, but you're adorable while you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Wow. And I said, hey, but at the end of the movie, Wally gets the girl. So there's hope <laughs> for right. me. Yeah. Um, That's right. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Now go after. Go. I, I went out of my league, too, and uh, it worked out. So, you know, yeah. go for it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was a funny uh, comment that she had to say. But I, hey, like like I said, he, at the end of the movie, he he gets uh, what he was hoping for. He She holds his hand. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's a great scene, and I I, I kind of hope there's not a sequel, frankly. You know, uh, I think it's just a beautiful film as it is, and and stands on its own as such a work of art. So, well, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on to talk about Wally. It was great fun, and yeah, I I really appreciate it. Loved it, Porter. You, you've got a friend in me, and uh, I I know I've got one in you. So we'll uh, we'll be in touch along the way. Love the conversations. Oh yeah, coming forward on this on this podcast. So, thanks so much, Josh. All right. Have a good one. Take care. You too. And there you have it. That was a fun conversation about Wally. We had some 
good back and forth. I really appreciated Josh's insights around Ben Burt and the sound editing, as well as his talking about Hello, Dolly. That was really cool. And yeah, I hope that was a good conversation for you all to listen to. I certainly enjoyed it. Now, as I talked about with Josh, one of the things I think Wally can encourage us Christians into is faithful service, just continuing to persevere in doing good work, even when it's discouraging or seems hopeless. In Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul says this. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so what Paul is writing here in the context of slaves and servants who he's writing to, he's saying that the work they do is valuable, not just on an earthly level for an earthly master, but is actually valuable to God himself. And that we are, the work we do actually contributes not only to the economy of man, but to the economy of God, his work in the world, his restoration project. And so doing good work honors God. Now, what's cool about this is obviously that is true for whatever role you're in and however you contribute to the world. But it's also pointing to the work of restoration and reconciliation that every Christian is called to. So no matter what sphere of the economy you reside in or no matter what your occupation is, we all have been called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture is from 2 Corinthians 5. And there, Paul says that we are to be about the ministry of reconciliation. So I'm just going to read, starting in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so already we have see some connections with the movie. We talked about the new life. The new is here. There's this plant shooting up from the soil in the boot. And there's this desire for newness and restoration to take place. But it's not just the, the plant that is that newness. It is the work of Wally and Eve and the other characters in this film who fight to return to earth doing that good work. And so we are called to good work of bringing things to reconciliation to God. We are ministers of reconciliation, which is what Paul calls us. So it keeps going and it says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As we look around at our friends and family there is a longing for newness, for restoration. There is a lot of weariness in the world right now. And our hope, our plea, 
is for people to be reconciled to God so that his restoration, his newness, his life can be breathed into them. And so obviously there are different vocations and there are different ways that we participate in the restoration process of this earth. But one that we are all called to is to implore people to be reconciled to their creator, to be humble recipients of the grace of God given to us through his son's death on the cross. And so I encourage you all to be agents of restoration, be agents of reconciliation, both through doing good work and through spreading the good news of who Christ is and what he came to do. Finally, I want to close with a quote from N.T. Wright's book on eschatology called Surprised by Hope. And what N.T. Wright is pointing to is the importance and value of good that we do on earth. That the Lord does not just look upon that and shrug, that it's not just something we do to make the time more bearable while we twiddle our thumbs on earth, but that the actual stuff that we do here matters for eternity. So here's what N.T. Wright says. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals and digging wells, campaigning for justice and writing poems, caring for the needy and loving your neighbor as yourself. All these things will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. That's right, friends. We are builders in God's kingdom. We are ministers and ambassadors of reconciliation. So let's go out and persevere faithfully, even though the circumstances are bleak, even though it seems like there's nothing around us but decay. May we push forward doing the good work that God has called us to, just like Wally. Thanks for listening, everybody. Once again, I want to thank Josh Shepard for his insights into the film. And of course, as always, I want to thank my cousin Maggie for the theme song. Thank you so much to all you who listen and support. Thank you for your patience with that long gap. And I'm hoping to get into a better rhythm here. And like I said at the top of the show, Up will be the next film we're focusing on. So if you want to get ready to watch that before our next episode, please feel free to do so. All right, take care, everybody. Have a great one.